The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome back to the Paranorm Girl Podcast. I am your host, Kristen. Today's conversation marks a very special moment. This will be the final guest for this season all about UFO, UAP, and ET, which means our season five conclusion and finale is but a couple of weeks away. What a wild educational ride this one has been. I never suspected in my wildest dreams that the very subject I would be covering would be considered so true by the time I was finished. I'm sure by now most of you have watched the historic broadcast of the Committee on Oversight and Accountability hearing on UAP. It was an excellent turnout of Congress people, I thought, all treating the subject with an appropriate level of seriousness and interest. And of course, we heard from the panel of witnesses that included David Grush, Dave Fravor, and Ryan Graves. I'm still mulling over all that was asked and talked about, and I will explore some of that information and thoughts that occurred to me during the hearing on the season's finale closer to the end of August. I do want to note today's guest and I recorded prior to that hearing, so just please keep that in mind as you listen through. If you're wondering why we're not talking about specifics from the hearing, that is why. But please stay tuned nearer to the end of the season. I will get some of my own reaction to the hearing on the public record in our final summation on the topic. Today's show is going to be the first of two parts. My guest and I got into a lot together, including topics that I hadn't already covered this season, such as animal mutilation, sightings and encounters in Australia, and government response to the UAP issue. My guest has a wide understanding about this phenomenon, and both parts of this one pack a punch. Let's do a word from our sponsor, and then I will introduce him. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to unleash the beach beast within you. This summer, Manscaped is here to help you level up your beach game with their new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. They're going past waist deep in the grooming game and diving in head first to your facial hair fantasies. The Beard Hedger is a game changer, allowing you to shape your beard like a true beach babe. 
So, this summer, let the beach balls bounce and turn heads all over the place. Visit manscaped.com and use code PNG for 20% off and free shipping. While you are out there officially taming that mane this summer, thanks to the Beard Hedger Pro Kit, let's not forget that all works of art begin with a clean, blank canvas. Start your beardly journey out right with Manscaped's beard shampoo and conditioner. All of the hair on your body is different, gentlemen, and the hair on your face is easier to damage than what's on your head. You need to use something specifically designed for it. Luckily for you, that all can be found in the Pro Beard Kit. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code PNG at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PNG. Manscaped Beard Hedger. One stroke, one guard, 20 lengths. My guest is an academic with a massive scientific background and a PhD in neuroscience. He's a member of the Scientific Coalition for UAP Studies and has worked for many years in the field of UAP investigations and research as MUFON's National Director for Australia and New Zealand. Please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Roger Stankovich. So I'm from Sydney, Australia, and uh, basically I... Um... Uh, my education uh, began with a Bachelor of Science degree at the University of Sydney, um, and uh, I was mainly interested in, in the uh, field of uh, pathology, and I ended up doing a PhD in neuroscience much later in 2006. I um, uh, completed a PhD in neuroscience, so I had a lot of experience in um, uh, pathology of the brain and spinal cord. Um, I was the the chief scientist there at um, the pathology department at the University of Sydney, where we cut up a lot of human brains um, and looking for diseases like neurodegenerative diseases. Um, and I specialised in motor neuron disease. And um, we did um, a lot of work on CJD, which is the equivalent of mad cow disease in humans. Um, so I, I ran the laboratory, the surveillance laboratory for CJD in New South Wales. And so we we got um, brains referred to us uh, that were rapid dementia, um, patients that under, underwent rapid dementia who were suspect of, uh, suspected of CJD. And so we screen those brains and determine based on pathology whether they um, have this disease or not because it's a, communi uh, it's a, uh, a communicable disease. You have to report it when you see it. Um, and so basically, uh, yeah, and I... Um, got involved with uh, um, uh, looking at UAPs or UFOs at an early age. I um, didn't know too much about um, the, the topic, but when I, as a teenager, when I was about 14 or 15, I had a sighting at my parents' property, which um, they had a, a 10 hectare property or a 25 acre property um, out uh, in the west of Sydney and um, in the, in the, in the 60s and 70s, and basically, oh, they only just recently sold that property. But um, basically, when I was a, a kid, I um, ventured down to the, uh, uh, we had two dams, and uh, I ventured down to the back dam, which was the larger dam, and it was sort of like twilight, and this was, oh, I don't know, um, 19, uh, late 1970s or uh, mid-70s, and basically, I um, happened to, it was twilight and I happened to 
catch a, um, a light coming in from my right, which was coming in from the south going north as I was facing the dam. And um, all I could say is it was um, an orb-like uh, light which emitted white light. But the strange thing about it is that when it approached me, I thought it was an, uh, a helicopter or an aeroplane, but it, it, it had no flashing lights and there was no sound. And then all of a sudden it stopped in front of me and hovered. And that's what really piqued my curiosity about it because I thought, oh, you know, what is this thing? You know, it's not a, it's not, can't be a plane. It could be a helicopter, but it did this really crazy maneuver where um, it did sort of like a, a, a figure eight or a loop the loop and then went straight down onto the ground and, and landed and lit up the whole area, which really, you know, just frightened the hell out of me. So I just turned around and took off because I thought, you know, I don't know what this thing is. Um, and that experience really uh, just got me really interested in UFOs. And um, it, it was quite frightening. I remember going into the farmhouse and uh, after the experience, just running into the kitchen and my sister was saying to me, uh, you know, what's wrong? And you know, I was as white as a ghost, apparently, and sweating. And, you know, it was just a, a you know, just a traumatic experience of not knowing what this thing was and it was so close you know i'm talking about two or three hundred meters away from me oh, wow. um so it was, it was a fairly close encounter but i i could kick myself for not actually staying there to see what was what the next thing was uh or what the next thing was going to happen you know is you know was i going to see entities was you know what, what was this craft going to do etc so i am a bit um yeah, I suppose I just didn't have the um, the courage to confront it at the time. But um, I suppose then, you know, like a, being a teenager and not knowing what I'd experienced, I'd um, you know took it as as something threatening and and didn't uh, didn't uh, stay there. I just took off and went home, uh, like at the speed of light, virtually. So. Yeah, um, that's what got me interested, and I started reading books on UFOs, magazines, and that's really what you could only do. We had no internet at that stage, and it was difficult to get information off them, of uh, what the the topic was about. And I um, uh, just read as much as I could, and then I got involved in networking with other researchers, uh, in particular people overseas like uh, Stanton Friedman and uh, you know Nick Pope and Leslie. Kane and a few others who I'd, I'd communicated things with and and basically then I got involved in MUFON so I started networking initially and uh, what I wanted to do was to actually uh, be involved in a proactive way by actually um, uh, joining an organization where I could actually analyze reports so from the public so basically MUFON seemed to be the perfect um outlet there so I joined MUFON in 2015 and then shortly became the national director and um, we received uh, civilian reports that um, uh, come to us that it could be just an account it could be a, a video or a photograph that someone's taken of an unusual light um, and uh, we deal with abduction cases and we deal with other things like animal mutilations that are reported to us as well so um yeah, so basically we uh, analyse the reports. There's a database called the CMS or the Case Management System, and um, that's controlled in the United States. That's actually based in uh, Ohio right now. So uh, the server's in Ohio, and basically people just log into 
their personal computer, just Google MUFON, and then they can go into their website and, and go into report a UFO and um, from anywhere around the world. And that goes to the, it initially goes to the, uh, through the CMS in, in Ohio, and then it gets divvied out to the various countries where it, uh, if there's a national director there, or if there's field investigators in that country, so for example, in Poland, um, uh, there might be a, you know, a couple of field investigators or a national director there that um, if there's a sighting in that country, well, then that report in the United States gets sent to, to that national director and then they handle that report. And that's that's how it's done. But we, we get quite a few reports for a very small population. We've only got, uh, I'm not quite sure, we're 25 million. Um, but we get, we're usually up there in the statistics. We're about the top five of countries around the world. Oh, wow. Get I didn't the know most that. UFO. Yeah. If, if you look at the, if you join MUFON and become a member, um, they will give you access to the statistics um, as to, you know, how many cases there are per country, um, what people see, whether they're triangles or orbs or um, saucer shaped or tic tac shaped or whatever. Um, so they give you all this information about um, the specifics and, um, Basically, we we're 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 quite we're right up there with the the highest number of cases, um, and I can't explain that. I suppose there's um, a lot of cases aren't reported um, by the public. Uh, they don't know about MUFON, or they um, just don't want to report them because of um, you know they um, they might see a ridicule factor associated yeah. with. We keep everything, uh, you know, un, uh, if. If you tick a box saying that you want to remain anonymous, well, then we honour that that privilege. So basically, um, uh, we we don't disclose names. So if, uh, I suppose if people do see a UFO and they want to report it to move on, their names are kept separate from the actual report. So unless you, you know, but they particularly want to disclose their their personal details, which a lot of people don't want to. Sure, sure, yeah. There's still such that 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 high stigma factor. Even right. today, with everything that's going on, even today, uh, people are still a little, little queasy about being associated with it, you know. Um, yeah. Well, I, I was going to say it's, it's good that nobody's, you know, able to just like ring you up and, and report, you know, all of these reports that it's going through, you know, the CMS and, the, and a system like that. And it's all. Well, pe still, people still do. People oh, do still they? do. Ring. They still <laughs> oh. call me and. Um, basically, they email me separate to the to the to the MUFON database. So, and some of those cases actually turn out to be quite a bit more interesting than the ones that go through the database. Um, I suppose it's the matter of uh, matter of urgency that they have that they want to contact me directly. And um, uh, yeah, some of the some of the cases are quite interesting uh, uh, in terms of yeah abductions and animal mutilations that I've had um uh information sent to me on a personal basis yeah yeah would you be able to uh, uh share some australian cases i personally i'm i'm not as familiar with uh ufo et encounters anything like that outside of the us i'm trying right. but you know we were talking before we started recording it, it's overwhelming it's a lot of information to get through so i would love my my listeners would love to hear um any cases you would like to share or just stories that you're well, that, aware of or yeah so there's a, there's an uh interesting case that's come up recently where um in may this year there was a um uh, a lady that was um, driving, uh, probably your listeners don't know too much about um, uh, Australia, other than we've got states in Australia. There's um, 
Queensland, which is north and Northern Territory. Then we've got New South Wales and Victoria down the bottom. And then we've got South Australia and Western Australia, which is quite a large state. But this lady was driving uh, north in Queensland and she was travelling in a remote area of central Queensland with a, a camper van. And um, it was about 1pm in the afternoon, slightly cloudy, and she saw this um, object uh, to her left, which looked like, um, and I'm only just using her description, like a green teardrop um, but it was sort of like it wasn't a structured craft. It was like a, a bit, bit like a cloud, but it was well circumscribed. And it was coming towards her, and all of a sudden, it hit her car and pushed her car to the right hand, her van to the right hand side of the road. And then she had to correct herself, and she heard some sort of noise where um, it's similar to. Um, uh, sprinkling rice on a bit of paper, and then she heard a thump and a thump again. Uh, so the object actually hit her car. Uh, it she had to uh, to the. It, I don't know. I, I asked her. Look, how did it actually? Did you did your tires scrape when it pushed your car to the other side of the road? And she said no. It just my car ended up on the other side of the road. So we drive on the left hand side here compared to you guys. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've driven in America before and it's a nightmare for us to drive <laughs> over there, believe me. Um, so I, I suppose it'd be the same for you guys when you come <laughs> over here. So we, we, we're we driving on the left-hand side and it pushed the car all the way to the right-hand side. There was no no oncoming traffic. In fact, there was no traffic anywhere. And what happened is that she was so frazzled by it that um, she she kept going. I said, look, did you see anything on the road? You know, did you look in the rearview mirror? Did you see anything, any debris or anything like that? Did it actually, you know, did, did you see something? And she didn't. So because um, she looked in her right rear vision mirror. But when she got to um, stop and um, just recollect her thoughts, uh, one strange thing that did happen is that there was a phone call that was made just after she was hit by this object, which we can't work out what it is, and it was someone from Perth Airport who had called her saying that she called him. And that's about, I don't know, maybe 3,000 kilometres away, but she didn't make the call. So her mobile phone was on the seat and she didn't make the call, but he received a call from her mobile phone as this thing hit the van and he called her back six minutes later. And she thought it, she didn't know who it was. And so she received a, a, a call from someone who she didn't call during the event. <laughs> so we can't, what we're trying to do is work out, is this possible? You know, can you, can an incoming call come from a phone where you haven't actually dialed a number? Um, but it gets it gets more interesting. So what happened? She contacted me, and um, she contacted um, uh, another uh, UFO investigation uh, organisation called PRA, which is Paranormal Research Australia. And uh, we suggested that she get some dust samples off her van. And uh, I sent a dust sample to MUFON in the United States because uh, we do have a lab there. Um, it's only a small lab and they can do what's called scanning electron micros microscopy of samples of whatever you give them. 
and it's called EDX or Energy Dispersive X-ray Microanalysis. Um, and so we did uh, two. We 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 had two independent laboratories that, that did the dust samples on. Uh, uh, sorry, samples on the dust uh, on her vehicle, and the laboratory in Australia found an unusual alloy, uh, which is a, a composition of copper and barium, which. Um, is in the proportion of 80% to 20%. So 80% copper, 20% barium, which is very unusual because that doesn't usually exist as a in, in the metallic form. It can be found in a powder form, but not a metallic form. So this was covering her vehicle. And so um, the uh, chief investigator said it was an anomalous alloy that was found on her car no, after the incident. To- just to interrupt you real quick, the, the copper barium yeah. mix, like is that found, you said it's, it can be found in powder form. Where in the world would that be found? Like, where... Okay, so there, there's a company in America who, um, I think it's American, uh, American, um, oh no, sorry, I can't remember the actual name of the company, but um, there there is a company, uh, a metallurgic company, or, you know, there's a company in the States that actually can produce it but in powder form, but not to the ratio of 20 to 80. It seems very unusual that they've got, you know, that we've got this this particular alloy in uh, 20 to 80%, sorry, 80 to 20% um, barium. And or it can be manufactured on, on earth, but the thing is that it's unusual because it's in its metallic form, not powder form, and it's um, a 20, uh, 80 to 20 mix. So that's what was found on her vehicle. And she thinks she lost some time as well when she got to her destination, final destination, before she recollected her thoughts, although that's a bit hazy at the moment. So, um, yeah, so so that's it's an unusual case that we're still following up. It's been completed, but I'm going to still do some more investigations on it. And so that, that um, just happened in May of this year. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Wow. It's yeah, it's an incredible in case. Yeah. 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 Just outstanding. Yeah. So um, it had the force to actually move the van to the other side of the road, but it's it's, it's unusual that um, and, and she she was um, she's very credible and she's highly obsessed with what's happened to her. She's um, uh, been very forthcoming with um, information and. Um, She's done a write-up of her experience in terms of photographs and, you know, information about what happened to her uh, at the time. And um, we've had we've had other cases. We've had a case in New Zealand where uh, there was a gentleman who um, couldn't sleep at night. This is um, uh, basically he uh, he's the um, a CEO of a software company, so he's he's quite a credible person, quite an intelligent guy, and he um, couldn't sleep one night, and he. Uh, lives next to the to the ocean. Ne- lives nearby the ocean, and he decided he he would um, just go out. Uh, I, I can't remember what time it was. Probably uh, two a.m. or three a.m. in the morning. He decided to get a glass of wine and just go on the beach and just just sit down and just um, you know try and relax because um, he had a bit of insomnia. And he saw this craft out in the distance on the ocean, um, which was actually which had a beam. Uh, going down into the ocean and it looked like it was scanning something in the ocean and um, he thought it was quite unusual this is another case that was sent to me personally and um, he got my details and sent me an email that I called him 
Um, but what's really unusual about this incident is not just the sighting of this object that was actually on on uh, the ocean, scanning the oceans, is that um, soon after he spotted the craft, all of a sudden the craft was on the beach and he said that an entity came out of the craft and approached him. And he said that he got a download from this entity in terms of uh, pictures and not not so much verbalization, but pictures of microplastics in the ocean and their concern about microplastics in the ocean. And um, he reached out to touch it, and then it um, he got this feeling of dread over him, and then the creature went back into the craft and left. And unfortunately, we don't have any evidence for it because um, he didn't take any photographs or didn't, you know, like there's no evidence on the sand because the, the waves had come in and washed the, uh, the uh, evidence of the craft being on the sand, et cetera. But I, I felt that um, it sounds it sounds quite like a quite a, um, incre- an incredible story and so hard to believe, but um, I found him extremely credible and um, I found it interesting that there was a connection between the actual entities wanting to being concerned about microplastics in the ocean because this is uh one thing that you know there's a big problem um with um uh currently that we have with microplastics in the ocean what's so special about hero bread's soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas these ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar fewer calories and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health shop now at hero.co yeah, and it, cer- it certainly wouldn't be the first case or story that I've heard where there are these encounters with these beings and there's some message translated that, yeah. you know, we have concerns about, you know, this problem going on on your earth, the pollution, the, you know, whatever uh, the uh, crisis is at the moment. But, uh, yeah, there's there's quite a few stories in that vein, which uh, mm-hmm. might touch upon something. I hope I get to ask you a little bit later and I'll, I'll bring it up. But uh, this uh, benevolence. um factor to some of these stories these encounter stories is really interesting to me the other part Mm. of that story that i found interesting because it's been on my mind is uh the uh, ufo over the ocean i'm starting to see that connection quite a bit more these days with Mm. ufos having something to do in and around water big water and i don't know what that is i'll have to do some more digging but um that was an absolutely incredible story as well oh my gosh Mm. when did that take place so that that happened i think it happened in um about four or five years ago i think um he he contacted me a a couple of years ago i'd have to actually look at my notes but it wasn't that long ago okay Um, yeah all right well do you um have any uh like stories that have taken place of uh animal mutilation in your country and and that sounds so weird to ask but uh, the thing is like the season it's been so overwhelming there's been so many subjects i wanted to cover this subject and just couldn't i couldn't do it justice so i thought you know the perfect person to ask is somebody in the know about this um yeah i would love to hear if you've got any uh, examples of this taking place yeah, we, we have, um, you hear about it mainly in the States, but um, it does occur worldwide and we do get our, uh, we do have um, animal mutilations in Australia. Um, uh, I was involved in um, interviewing a farmer um, in um, 
2018 in Queensland again. I mean, most of them occur in Queensland for some strange reason, and they're in re really remote areas. And uh, uh, there's there's not just one farmer, but there's there's multiple farmers out there. And in northern New South Wales near Casino and Lismore, um, we had an incident where um, in the 70s, um, I wasn't involved then, but um, I, I um, contacted the original farmhand that experienced the mutilations in the 70s. And um, I spoke to him about, um, you know, like what, 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 what actually happened. And um, there were several cattle that were mutilated in terms of um, uh, their uh, excisions that are that are typical of, of 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 cattle mutilations, where they have a what's called a jaw swipe, where the, there's a bit of tissue removed around the 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 jaw, the jowls, uh, exposing the teeth. The tongue is missing. Um, the eye sock, the eye might be taken out of the eye socket. Um, there's uh, often an anal coring to a certain depth. There's um, an udder removed, um, but there's no blood, no sign of struggle, and there's no tracks. And so we believe that these mutilations are actually occurring while the animal is still alive. Oh. And um, so so there's no struggle. So um, how this is possible, I don't know, because basically, uh, you know, how do you, how do you uh, uh, restrain a, a cow or a bull um, and do these mutilations without, you know, without any struggle? Um, so, so basically, these mutilations occurred in the seventies, and I spoke to a veterinarian as well, who looked at some of the. He did autopsies on some of the on some of the um, mutilations, and um, he he was a bit puzzled. Although he said to me that um, the the you know the, the the cuts were done with surgical precision, but uh, it wasn't impossible for someone to an experienced butcher to do it with a very sharp knife which um, I, I didn't agree with, but he was saying uh, other things which lent to it being more paranormal in the sense that um, uh, there was the, the way the tissue was removed from the bone was really interesting because some of the tissue that was removed from the bone um, didn't disrupt this very fine layer called periosteum on the bone. And he said that he doesn't know how that's possible. And um, when you're cutting tissue off a uh, an animal, um, and particularly if you get near bone, um, the periosteum, which is a very fine single cell layer of tissue right next to the bone, is always disrupted. And even when you have um, cattle being um, eaten by predators, that that layer is always disrupted. In these cases, it wasn't. It was just as if you boil the tissue off and just taken it off. Um, so it, it's it's interesting that you know that we've got this anomaly where. Um, the tissue is taken off cleanly without, you know, like um, disrupting or, or uh, you know, the bone or, or, the, or, the, or the fine layer of tissue on the bone. And um, usually these, these mutilations occur in really remote areas um, where it's out of sight um, from human purview. So basically there's, there's, it's usually in, and these, these properties are quite large properties. You, you're talking about in like 10,000, 30,000, acre properties or even larger and they're in really remote areas so and uh, one of the farmers told me that um, uh, if the cow was on on a hill its legs were up which means that it just fell so the mutilation oh. when it occurred it just it just fell on the spot you know so it didn't struggle 
Um, so because its feet were hanging, pointing up uphill. Um, I've heard of mutilations where there was some there's been broken bones, so it might have even been dropped from a from a great height. But um uh we do get we get mutilations not only of um cattle, we get uh, kangaroos that have been mutilated. Oh um, wow. Yeah. Okay. I, and it's I the same, a, you're seeing the same yeah. same things throughout. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it had the it had the jaw swipe. Mm -hmm. So it was just as if it was a cattle mutilation, but a cattle mutilation. The same to like uh, surgical areas that uh, sorry the surgical precision and uh, the same areas that they would attack uh, would would tend to go for in a in a cow. So you'd see the jaw swipe in the kangaroo and its anal uh, coring, and um, so we've had kangaroo uh, mutilations. We've had sheep mutilations. I had a um, someone emailed me with photographs of a ram that was mutilated in Bendigo um, a few years back. And uh, what's interesting is these, uh, often there's um, whites that have been seen uh, uh, like, like shortly after or shortly before the mutilations. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the, the case of the ram in Bendigo, uh, there was a, um, a light seen um, over the fields by a guest that happened to, uh, be staying at the house prior to the ram being found and he described it as a, a, a red light and uh, he thought it might have been a drone but um, uh, you know like it was in the middle of the night and basically he would be flying a drone over someone's field in the middle of the night right. um, and with the mutilations in Queensland we've had um, I've spoken to recently to a couple of farmers where um they are absolutely adamant that it's extraterrestrial in nature. So this is not me, you know, saying what, you know, like, uh, I, I just asked them, I said, look, what do you think, you know, who do you think is doing this? Yeah. And they're saying that there's, there's absolutely no doubt in their mind it's extraterrestrial in nature. But, are, they, are they basing that off of, like, lights that they've seen around, like just? Well, yes, lights and also um, people that have seen lights, not only them, but, people to tell them they, they've seen lights um, and then they discover a mutilation mm -hmm. um, and also um, the fact that they can see the evidence themselves. Um, they, they can see that it, it, the um, the cuts are so precise. They're telling me, they're saying that there's, there's no way that anyone could have done this with no blood lying around, um, definitely not predators. And it um, there was um, one farmer that had a friend who lifted up the, leg of a cow uh, to inspect it after a mutilation and his hand started burning so i don't not quite sure what um oh. uh has how, there how... Ha has there been uh like radiation uh found well that's what i was thinking i was thinking it could be yeah. some sort of gamma radiation or something okay. like that but um i don't know whether they've actually looked at um you know whether anyone's got a geiger counter and and actually measured the radiation levels around the cattle at the time. Um, it's something that, you know, I suppose, and, and there's been reports of um, uh, foul odours as well, like an ammonia-type odour. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, what else? Um, uh, I think uh, yeah, ammonia or um, uh, some sort of odour which is pugnant to, you know, around the cattle at the time, uh, you know, the mutilation. And also predators don't touch them, so... 
Um, you don't get any crows or we, we've got, we don't have a lot of predators in Australia. We've got dingoes and foxes, mm-hmm. um, but the larger birds, you know, the birds of prey like the wedge-tailed eagle and whatever won't touch them. In fact, there was one carcass that wasn't touched for 18 months by predators. It just was not touched at all. See that, that that's how, you know, there, there's something, something not, good about you know the the carcass of course you know the meat yeah. something not good because a predator is not going to just walk away from that they're just not yeah but you sort of like wonder how they're sensing it and um you know what's what yeah. sort of how they're sensing that this is something that they shouldn't touch is is another thing yeah um, yeah well you know animals eyes you you know this are, are so different they're, they're they're seeing all this stuff that we can't see they hear things mm-hmm. that we can't hear different frequencies pitches so who the heck knows what they're seeing or sensing or smelling or that is exactly yeah yeah wow and i was just thinking like is it is it like commonly thought that these mutilations are taking place instantaneously just because of the the no signs of struggle and yeah. uh and and the positions that they're found in you know legs in the air like is it is it accepted that it's like an instant yeah, thing I, is that what it's thought i i think i think that's um I, I think i read something about that um quite a while ago where it, it's it, it has to be something instantaneous like we the, where everything is done in one one fell swoop you know <laughs> mm-hmm. you know and yeah. um because as you say, there's no struggle, and um, I, I really don't know how that's possible. Some people saying, "Oh, it's some sort of robotic thing; it's extraterrestrial, but it's robotic, and it's it you know like there's a machine that does it all in the one go." And um, uh, it's a bit like crop circles where they're laid in one, you know, within a couple of seconds. Yeah, you know, they're not laid down over time; they're laid down in seconds. Um, a bit like how the, the mutilations are occurring but um it's hard to say because no one's ever witnessed anything although there was an account in the in the united states where um a, a lady was actually taken on board allegedly taken on board a craft while they were mutilating a, a calf that they picked up off the ground and her daughter was with her oh. um her name was uh judy oh, i forgot her last name i'm sorry um uh, basically, uh, you can uh, you could probably look it up. But Leo Sprinkle, who was a, a ufologist back uh, way back then, had um, regressed her, and uh, but she she was coming back from a bingo game with her, I think her mother and her daughter in the car. And as they were driving home, this is late at night, uh, she spotted a, a craft, and um, they were seeing they saw this this uh, calf being taken taken up into the craft, and then. Uh, she stopped the car and then all of a sudden uh, to, to look at what was going on and then all of a sudden she found herself um, in the actual craft with a daughter there and they're observing the mutilation actually happening in the craft and then they wanted to examine her daughter and she thought that they were going to mutilate her daughter but she said, you know, obviously she was fright- uh, quite frightened by it but they said, no, we're not going to you know, do anything to your daughter, we're just going to examine her. And then you'll be back in your car, and that's um, that's what happened. And um, so the video is available on on YouTube, I think. But um, that's the only instance instance where I uh, that that I can gather that um, anyone's actually ever witnessed something like this happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But it's certainly it can't be attributed to anything prosaic in terms of um, uh, uh, you know uh, people. I suppose if you've got cultists that are out there 
that are doing satanic rituals and killing animals they don't you know do surgical pre surgically precise cuts you know and if cultists and if human beings were doing this regularly even uh, you know b- behind the, the cloak of a cult um then we would know how it's taking place we would know how they are doing it you know they're yeah you know what i mean like yeah, well, there's various theories. They're saying that um, it could be the government, you know, something that the government's involved in. But oh. I, I can't imagine them, you know, um, you know, how many governments are there that are doing this? Uh, it's happening worldwide and it's happening in remote areas. And why would they, you know, um, you know, send a helicopter out to pick up a, a cow in the remote regions of Australia um, to mutilate it and then drop it down and then go back to their laboratory? I, I just can't imagine they're saying that it could be some sort of mad cow disease surveillance. Uh, I, I don't believe that's the case. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely not predation. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, the skepticism and, and the, the need to find, you know, reasons and excuses, it, it gets a little too unbelievable that side of it to me when you've got cases yeah. like this, where obviously it is not prosaic. There is something very strange taking place here and, and it's consistent and it's worldwide. Um, mm. Yeah. It's just not so simple as no as a government government cover and, and, <laughs> and and no one's ever no one's ever been attributed so no one's ever been caught doing this mm-hmm. but no one's been since 1967 when the the um i think it was 1967 where they uh, there was a horse in colorado that was mutilated and that went it was worldwide news um the name of the horse was um lady but they the, the press um nicknamed a snippy uh, for obvious reasons and um Basically, that was one of the first well-known um, animal mutilations that occurred. Uh, yeah. But ever since then, no one's ever been, you know, implicated and or caught red-handed doing this. So it's a genuine mystery. Yeah, well, they're lucky I don't catch them if that's what's going on. I, <laughs> I love, I love animals. Uh, well, yeah. you, uh, you guys, you guys got some, some things going on over there my goodness <laughs> is it's the, just like any other country I oh yeah yeah no yeah we're all the same uh is the yeah. australian government uh as good at keeping a lid on things over there as uh, the u.s government is um i i i, I think that the, the, the australian government's just not interested because i i did put i did send a letter to um richard marlis who's our uh, minister of defense and he he forwarded that to one of his um, offsiders, and um, basically, my response was, "Well, my my letter to the Minister of Defence was, um, we we should find like-minded um, uh, parliamentarians who are interested in the UAP phenomenon and do what's happening in the states with your senators. I'm really, I'm I'm really impressed by your senators, Gillibrand, mm-hmm. um, Marco Rubio, yeah. um, Tim Burchett." They're all, get, you know, they're all, um, uh, you know, they, they really uh, push the UAP um, issue and uh, they're so interested in it, but our parliamentarians are, are not like that. We've got one, um, Senator Wish Wilson, who's a Tasmanian Green um, senator. He has broached the issue in Parliament a few times, um, but it's met with, you know, it, it was a mute point as far as, uh, Parliament's concerned, and and my letter was to suggest that uh, to the De- Minister of Defence that we should um, uh, do the same thing that's going on in the states because you know we you know 
the UAP issue could be a safety issue in terms of um, pilot uh, interference with with UFOs, uh, sorry, with UAPs, pilot interference uh, with UAPs. And um, these reports could be out there, but we're not getting them because the pilots aren't saying anything. Or, you know, our airspace is probably less um, busy than, obviously, less busier than what that what it is in the states but they their their recourse was basically just to say that we're um you know we, we don't want to spend the money um tracking these anomalous phenomenon and we're not really interested in okay. doing it and so they I, I don't know i'm just really disappointed that um the australian government is not being proactive about this um like the American government is it's a different situation though because with you guys um it goes a lot deeper there's this um you know allegation uh with whistleblowers coming out now saying that there's a lot of um uh, corporate aerospace industries now that are um well not a lot but there's a few there's a couple of um you know corporate aerospace companies that have actually got this material and, wow. and have not only got the material but have actual intact spacecraft so um, I suppose there's a push by the senators because they want to know, obviously, whether this is true or not. Um, but here we we don't have that same scenario where, you know, there's not an urgent need to actually know what this is about because we don't have the craft or, or you know, you know we, we you know we do have the, you know we we do get reports um, and we get a lot of reports here, but um, I suppose it's not as serious as what it is in the states where. Yeah, or you know, or, big or they're just not as as publicly, you know, known or or suspected to be taking place. I mean, it could very well be so many more than you know even you're aware of. Um, but mm. I I I have hope that uh, you know worldwide it, it will begin to take place, and hopefully, what's going on in the U.S. now will continue to take place. I I feel like because I I went through you know I was listening to the the hearings and you know the news kind of trickling out and and uh, Gillibrand and and Rubio, you know, were pushing for it, but it it just felt like they were just pushing up against a brick wall. Like there was there was no going anywhere with their push until. The whistleblowers yeah until yeah. david grush and that mm. uh, an incredible interview uh that he did mm. with uh ross coldheart and yeah. and that i think that that's just kind of torn the lid off of it like I, I, it feels like just this ball rolling downhill and it's it's gaining steam and it's just not going to stop so i hope to mm. see that spread worldwide as well i hope to see it everywhere just a full disclosure <laughs> But uh, on on the David Grush, that being said about uh, David Grush's interview, like this felt like a, a really just monumental moment, like a, just an incredibly yeah. important interview. And yet it seems like there's a lot of folks who don't really, really grasp how important it yeah. actually is. So. Yeah. I'm glad that you brought it up because I did want to ask you about some of those those points that they covered in that interview, that talk together. Uh, he said some pretty interesting, pretty important things, uh, talked mm. about dead pilots, uh, mm. non-human intelligence. This is something that we've all suspected. We all we all know, but you know, it's just never been said so blatantly like that before. Yeah. He he did say though he he seemed hesitant to label it as extraterrestrial. 
And uh, that that was curious to me. I was wondering, what, what are your thoughts on that distinction between non-human intelligence and extraterrestrial? Tune in next week for the second half of my conversation with Dr. Stankovich as we further explore David Grush's interview with News Nation and discuss some of the important revelations divulged during that broadcast and so much more. In the meantime, you can follow Roger on the socials that I have linked below, and I encourage you to do so. He knows a lot about the UAP and ET subject. It is his passion, and he consistently shares that education across his platforms. And he's just the nicest chap. He'll love to hear from you. Tell him you heard him here, and Kristen says... Howdy. You can also follow this show on the socials at Paranorm Girl Pod for updates, announcements, and the occasional meme. You want to share your feedback and thoughts? Shoot me a message at paranormgirlpod at gmail.com. If you especially loved this episode, rate and review wherever you heard it. And don't forget, sharing is caring, listeners. Word of mouth is by far one of the best ways to help this show reach new ears and grow. And I thank you so much for it. That's a wrap on this week's episode. See you guys again next time. Until then, stay safe, keep the nightlight on, and sleep with one eye open. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.